Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. An adventure in the great outdoors leads to a sharing of pasts among three friends in Christine Oshu's debut novel, Campfire Confessions, now available through Books Fluent. In this episode, Christine and I talk about Annie, Joe, and Sandra, and what each brings to the story and how they drive the plot. Christine has a pretty diverse background as a log rolling champion, international human resource executive, motivational speaker, and longtime screenwriter, and we look at how all these experiences factored into the story. Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to the show. Thank you once again for joining me. It's so cool to have you here. Hope everything's good in your world. Uh, where I am, it is around uh, mid-March as we record this interview. And uh, I live in uh, Massachusetts, so it is, so we are, are are entering what we like to call fake spring or the spring of deception because we'll have days where it's like, hey, it's cool, it's 47 degrees out or 67 degrees out. And the next day it's like, ha ha, gotcha, it's actually 20 degrees out and now you get two feet of snow. Enjoy that, humans. So that's what I am putting up with. My guest, though, is not because she lives in Florida. So it's nice and sunny, nice and warm. And for her, I'm seeing, I think snow is just a very, very distant memory. So joining me now is uh, Christine Oshu. She is the author of Campfire Confessions, her debut novel recently released. But before we get, we get into that, we need to talk about something else because not only is she a debut writer a great book out you definitely want to check out she's also a log roller now folks i don't know about you but i always thought that was just a th- i didn't know that that was a real thing i thought it was something that we just came up with that folks in like the way out yonder did but it's a real thing and i'm talking to someone here so christine thank you for joining me it is so cool to have you here i cannot wait to just dive right into everything <laughs> thanks cyrus i mean max i'm sorry i tell you um yeah log rolling um you know Growing up in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, instead of going to the beach, we would go to the log rolling docks. And I remember my dad would drop me off on the way to work, and I'd have my peanut butter sandwich and I think a mug of Kool-Aid. And then he'd pick me up after work, and we'd hang out with all our friends and just uh, log roll and goof around on the logs and just fell in love with the sport since I was like nine. And then competed probably into my young 20s. Yeah, I, I, I was about to say, you're also a log rolling champion. So you're not just a log roller. You actually won like tournaments, competitions for this. Yeah. Where is this happening? I want to see it. <laughs> well, Hayward, Wisconsin, where is my hometown, um, is we're home to the World Lumberjack Championships. And I think they celebrated, I'm not sure if it was their 100th year, not too long ago. But um, of course, it was one of the log rolling towns um, way back when. And, um, you know, so it's part of the kind of the whole logging trail of history. And so people really, there was a lumber mill there, and there still was a lumber mill there. Uh, but people would get onto, you know, these logs and put their spikes on and their log rolling shoes, and they would get those logs and break up, you know, jet log jams to keep the logs flowing down the river. So they just kind of brought that sport into it, this lumberjack bowl put up some huge poles that so we had that pole climbing and docks for chopping and sign and then the logs for rolling and it's just a, a blast. I now have a new life's goal to see a log rolling competition before I die. This is on that list. There's a lot of other things there, but this is now on the list right at the top because it sounds so cool. You had come up to Hayward, Wisconsin. Uh, we actually still, I have my summer home there, our family home that my grandfather built in the lake and we've got a couple of logs out on the lake. And so you come on out. You got an extra bedroom. Come on out. 
I'm so down for that. And I and I actually want to actually try log rolling. I'm sure I'll probably smack my skull on the damn thing, but um, I'll give it a go. I love it. It's fun to have a little adventure, right? You, you got to have some adventure in life. You can't just do the same thing forever. And speaking of yeah. which, you actually writing is a very adventurous thing for you because looking at your background, uh, you are uh, you are an international human resources executive, of course, log rolling champion. You're a motivational speaker. And now you're a writer. How did this come about? Like, how did, like, what made you say, so, okay, one day I'm going to write a book? <laughs> well, you know, um, the first book that I remember reading on the motivational side was The Power of Positive Thinking. Do you remember that one from Norman Vincent Peale? Um, so I read that in 1975. That's when I won the World Senior Amateur Championship. And it got me hooked into psychology. So I went for my BA in psychology, then my master's in human resources, um, and then went on to this career for about 15 years. Loved it. But I always wanted to write. I mean, since I was a little kid, you know, we'd sit and I had a best girlfriend and we'd spend Saturday afternoons like writing poetry and stories and things like that. And when I had the chance to leave the corporate world early, uh, I decided I want to write screenplays. So I actually joined Harvard Square Scriptwriters, which is based in Boston. I was living in Boston at the time and Grub Street Writers as well. Um, and I learned a heck of a lot. They're still um, Harvard Square Scriptwriters. I'm still part of that group. Awesome people. Really supportive. Um, so I learned a lot. I used to bring in my screenplays and get workshopped and that's when you had to learn to kind of really develop a tough skin because you might get five minutes of praise and you know another hour and 55 minutes of <laughs> what you'd call constructive feedback but felt brutal at times right so all these things um, kind of built into this journey of becoming an author and then you know like anybody in life I had my ups and downs and my trials and tribulations um and everything every messy experience that you have you know I went through a divorce and you know, lost loved ones, took care of aging parents, and, you know, took all the parents of cancer, and this, that, you know, they all just kind of fed into this whole kind of passion to kind of turn a little bit away from screenplays and get into trying my hand at writing a novel. And um, in the middle of that, between got into doing the screenplays, I wrote six for myself and two of my sister, Lorraine Lacey. Uh, but, you know, screenwriting is really tough to break into. Um, and it's a different type of writing. And for the book, Campfire Confessions, I wanted to get more into the character's head. wanted to share their thoughts and their feelings a little bit more and get into the senses. So I actually started the book um, in 2016. And so it was a five-year journey because during that time, um, I had grandkids happen. And, and I just learned a lot about, I call it my mantras, balance, focus, and faith. Just like log rolling, you got to keep your balance. And the focus is if you take your eyes off the other person's feet that you're rolling against on the other side of the log, you take your eyes off, you look away, you're going to fall in the water. And three is kind of like the faith. So if you fall in, you get wet, you get out of the water, and, you know, you get back in the log and try it again. So it's like, just like life, you know, can't give up, just, just keep at it, you know, so... Exactly, exactly. Now, um, going back a bit to the screenplay writing, uh, that is such a cool thing that you did that. And, and of course, Boston has such a vibrant film scene. Did anything you write ever get produced? Um, no, it didn't. I got lucky a few times. I had some options. I had those just moments where you think you broke through. Um, I wrote a script called Lumberjill that I co-wrote with my sister. 
um, Louie Lacey, and we had an agent for that one. And, you know, we were so close, but it never quite happened. And then I had another almost, and then 9-11 happened, and that agency kind of shut down for a while. But I did win a um, live stage reading at the Nantucket Arts Festival, not the Nantucket Film Festival, the Nantucket Arts Festival. Um, and so they did bring in actors and actresses from New York City. Um, Alex Donis um, led it, directed it, and they did live stage play reading for me um, off of the script. So that was really a, that was a high, you know, but um, yeah. And everything that you learn in screenwriting, I feel like made this book better. Um, it depends on what kind of book you like, but uh, I feel like a fast-paced book with a lot of action, um, because in screen, screenwrite plays, excuse me, you know, it's all about action and dialogue. You can't tell in a script what people are feeling or thinking, and you got to show it, right? So I think in the book, I was able to bring a lot of that along and kind of the visual part of it, and so I think it makes for a nice, you know, people like a fast read. Um, get fit that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What would you say was the biggest challenge to adjusting from writing screenplays, where, like you said, you can't really bury the person in detail because you've got to show, uh, not tell, to novel writing where you want to write a lot. You know, it was it was a challenge. Um, when I first finished my first draft in 2017. I thought it was it. I thought it was hot. That was great. <laughs> and I went to share with one of my writing friends that was a novelist. And two weeks later, she called me and said, oh, this is a mess. <laughs> she says, it's half novel, half screenplay. And I'm like, okay. So I listened to the feedback. So it was a lot of it was um, not really setting up the scene enough, not using enough description, you know, because in a screenplay, you know, you're stories being told on, on the screen, right, on film, so they see the character and, and you don't have to draw it out. So, But in a book, you have to draw that picture of that character and what's happening with your words. So um, I, it took me some time to really get into it and, and understand the point of view. I ended up getting a writing coach in 2019, um, which really was huge help. And I, that really kind of helped me turn the corner. And then suddenly she said, okay, you're on your own. Go fly. <laughs> Leave the nest. Um, so I would send her chapters at a time and get some feedback. But um, it just, it took some dedication for sure to change. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I like to ask about feedback because I'm, because as you mentioned, you know, the screenplay sessions were like, two minutes of, you know, you know, glowing praise and in a couple hours of, well, here's what's wrong with it now. How do you know when you're not willing to budge on something? I, excellent question. It really is. I have to bitten my cheek, probably like inside to stop, like from crying a few times. <laughs> Especially when I first started out. <laughs> Surprised I was like gushing blood at times. Um, but the biggest one, the biggest lessons I learned is that it's your story. And I had one script, and this is the one that had a lot of traction called Nantucket Ore. And it was the one that um, won the contest and had some options. And I workshopped it one time too many and took the feedback in too many times. And I changed the script way too much where suddenly it just lost its magic. And it wasn't my story anymore. And so I learned a really valuable lesson as far as you know, stay true to your story. You're the only one with that voice. Um, if you really, you know, feel it in your heart and your gut, you know, stick with it. 
you know, and because not everyone's going to resonate with everything you write. And that's what you really start to learn. I mean, you know, um, even in the book um, on Amazon, I've gotten some five stars. I've gotten some four stars. And then I got one three star. And of course, I gravitated to the one three star. And I'm like, what? (laughs) But then I had to feel like, okay, um, she probably prefers a different style of writing and a different story. And that's cool. You know, so not everything's going to be for everybody. Exactly. And taste is so subjective. I think that that's probably the biggest lesson to tell anyone who wants to write a book or do screenplay writing or do poetry or what have you. You're not going to make everyone happy. You're going to get those three stars, those two stars, the one stars, the no star reviews. It's going to happen. And just say, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't like it. And that's okay because you're not going to like everything. I mean, I don't like every book I read. I don't like every movie I watch. I don't like every CD that I listen to. I do listen to those. I still do listen to them. But the point is that taste is very subjective. And if you go into it thinking, I'll make everyone happy, ain't going to happen. Right. Ain't going to happen. It's really rare when a movie comes out and everyone loves it. I think like the Lego movie is the only one to not get a negative review. (laughs) That's it. That's funny. I didn't know that one. I'll have to watch it now. Just about. Yeah, just about. All right. Um, So do you think you're better at it these days when it comes to taking the negative feedback than you were when you first started? I would say definitely. You know, um, I'll always reflect. I feel like I can always learn. And sometimes learning to say, well, you know, maybe you're right, maybe you're not, but this is really how I feel about it. So I think it's maybe standing on your own two feet. And my writing coach said something about, um, you know, when you sit down in the chair, she almost would say, like, say a prayer, or just kind of meditate for a moment and um, really to go within. So I think part of that is, you know, who are you and how does your heart and gut react to that feedback and quiet yourself. Would you say that's the best advice you got from your writing coach? You know, to me it was because I'm – I. I'm a pretty spiritual person, you know, um, from the fact that I just, um, you know, I just, I think spirituality has a lot of different meanings. Um, to me, it's a lot about love and compassion and kindness and, and just feeling that energy and trying to get that energy to others. So when I would sit down, you know, I would just like kind of wanting to give my characters the best that I could for them and try to give them each their own unique voice. Um, that was another thing that I did learn too is with um with any kind of writing is um to give each character their own voice, their own habits, their own quirks, their own kind of like dialogue, you know. So each of my characters, like one kind of juts her head out to the side, she's got this tough girl act, one tends to like to tap a lot, kind of using tapping to slow down her anxiety and you know, kind of fakes confidence by flinging back her hair. She's gorgeous, of course. And you know, the other one is kind of plays the martyr role a little bit and um, hides her feelings a little bit with her over positivity at times, you know, so. You mentioned that this was five years in the making. You, you began writing this in 2016. Did you find yourself having to sort of like relearn your own story before you could like finish it off? Um, you know, I had this, I had the outline and I would have to say that every year something big happened in my life or more than one thing. And there's a line in the story, like um, sometimes life's a mess, but the most treasured stories are in the mess. 
And it's almost like if you ever take an early bad vacation and, you know, let's say it's got a flat tire, maybe got crying kids in the car. Um, but later on, that's kind of the story everybody remembers and they laugh about it. And that's the fact that they share around like, a, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. But um, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm sorry, I lost track there. <laughs> Where was I going with that? I had a really good answer. <laughs> You're the writer. You tell me. I'm thinking, oh, the five years, yeah. And, you know, there was inspiration along the way. I mean, um, I ended up kayaking in 2016. I tore my ACL in, in half. And our dog ran behind my knee, took it, the bone went out, popped back in, tore the ACL. So I ended up wearing this um, huge knee brace over the summer, right? And, but I just couldn't sit around. And I always felt like, you know, like, you know, God puts me in the chair when he really wants me to get something done. And so there I was, but I had enough sitting around. So I said to my brother, Let, let's go kayaking. So I we went kayaking in the Namakagan River outside Hayward, Wisconsin, where a lot of the story takes place. And I wanted to go. There's a little island in the middle of the river. And I said, well, I'm going to go to the right. The water's faster. It looks more fun. And, well, my kayak got jammed up against this huge branch that had fallen to the river. And I thought, oh, no big deal. I'll just push off. Well, I couldn't push off. The current was stronger than I thought. And so as I was pushing, the kayak tipped enough that the water started rushing into the kayak. And before I knew it, I had flipped. So I had kind of um, what you'd call between a rock and a hard spot, right? But it was between the tree branch and the bottom of the river. And I tried to get out of the kayak, but my brace caught on the lip of the kayak. And I thought, oh my gosh, okay, I've got my two daughters, my husband, my family, I've got little grandkids, babies grandbabies, and I'm going to die. And just everything gets super, super still. And I just don't know what, but I just ended up putting my arms out, kind of outstretched my arms, and somehow the current took me out. I felt myself floating after a few minutes. Um, good thing I was a good swimmer because I could hold my breath for a while. <laughs> and then I resurfaced maybe 20 yards down, and the pack banged me behind the knees, and I thought, Oh my gosh. And my brother, of course, was horrified and, and he came paddling up and we thought it was really great and we're laughing and sharing. But when I went back and shared it with my mother, she was <laughs> she wasn't very happy. <laughs> she was really scared. Um, but that like experience went into the book. Um, also during that five years, I created my workshop called Creating Your Amazing Life. And um, it was, I typed because I had all the psychology background and I'm a lifelong student of of you know, meditation, neuroscience, quantum physics, whatever, and get my hand on when it comes to human potentiality. And I was up in this town in Hayward, Wisconsin, and no, it's not a lot of financial um, richness there. Let's say it's a tough economy. And I wanted to give back to the community. So I created this workshop for women who may not have a chance to go to a workshop in the cities or the money um, to share these powerful tools of motivation and empowerment and energy things like tapping and meditation and visualization. And as I taught it to them, um, I thought, you know, I'm going to give this to the characters. So that was kind of like in 2018. And at that same time, I ended up self-publishing a children's book um, for my two granddaughters. I was babysitting. I made up the story about this called No Pooping on the Dock. Is what <laughs> the owl and uni wacky nodding crazy ducks. So um, they were having a meltdown, and we had this owl on our dock on the lake in Wisconsin. 
And so I made up the story uh, that, you know, that was a nice dog. I was going to share his dock, but he had one rule, no pooping on the dock. You know, one by one, the ducks break the rule. So my daughter called me. I said, Mom, I'm really upset with you. And I said, well, what do I do? You know, <laughs> and she said, well, the kids want that as a bedtime story. And I can't tell it the same way you do. And then they get all mad and upset. <laughs> so I said, you have to write it down. So I wrote it down. And I said, well, I might as well publish it. And so that was my first step into publishing. So once again, I stepped away from the novel, right? But just the experience of going through self-publishing and, and just kind of learning the ropes a little bit, um, it was, it all kind of fed into this five-year journey. And then, you know, then I had three best friends die of cancer um, that were really close to me. It was really hard to lose them. And one in particular, um, Kathy Graham Catterfield, I remember going to the hospital and she had read the first of the few drafts. Um, she was in Brigham there in Boston when she passed. Um, we held on to each other and cried. And I said, you know, I'm going to finish this book for you and I'm going to dedicate it to you, you know, which I did. Um, along with my two other friends that passed away. Um, but then, you know, I ended up in 2020 going to Arizona and hiking and being out of beautiful country, right? So area in the canyons. So when I hiking, I just kind of like got inspired to write the rest of it. So I took all that stuff and I think it just made the book richer and deeper and more real. Mm -hmm. well, it definitely sounds really real. It definitely sounds like a very authentic book. So now folks, we'll talk about the story. Swear to God, <laughs> hand to God, we're doing this thing. My hands up, we're doing this thing. So Annie, Sandra, and Joe are the best of childhood friends, but they haven't seen each other in many, many years. They're reunited on an adventure that is a combination of humor, danger, and enlightenment. And each character kind of carries their own baggage, for lack of a, be of a better word. You know, Annie is devoted to her, to her kids and to volunteering, but she's got a secret. Uh, Sandra is married to a super rich guy in L.A. She's got it all. But she, at some point, ends up way over her head. Joe is four years sober and struggling through a divorce. And after a one-night stand, she's forced to kind of reckon with a lifetime of bad choices. And uh, Annie's secret definitely se seems to be kind of the center of this story. Um, what role does the secret play in the overall story? Well, one, it brings the three friends together. Um, and I think it really hits a theme that is so hot with women today and men, seriously, I think for a lot of people. And that's about self-love. Um, she's kind of ended up sacrificing so much of herself. You know, she's the wife of a small town pastor. And I grew up in a small town, so I kind of get this. And I grew up, you know, my my dad was very you know, religious, so we, we could never miss church unless we were really, really sick. Um, you know, we tried at times. <laughs> but um, her secret is such where the two friends have such compassion because it's really hard to keep secrets in a small town. And so she's afraid of all the judgment that's going to be placed upon her. Um, she's got a special role being the minister's wife. She feels like she has to be perfect. Um, so these two friends are like, we're going to, we got to save her, right? I mean, we're going to go there. We're going to save the day. We're going to tell her, get her to open up so we can give her the right kind of support. And, um, and in the end, I don't want to give away the story, but in the end, she um, has a very big role in, in helping to save them. Hmm. What about creating the actual characters? Like how'd you go about doing this? And as a follow-up question, are 
any of them based on folks you know? I've, um, you know, as far as, like you said, asking uh, about natural characters, that was, was that your question? Okay. I, gosh, I guess because I'm really down to earth, <laughs> you know, person. Um, and I just, um, I think I grew up in a very non-pretentious home and environment. And that's kind of who we are. And that's who my friends are and, and the community that I prefer to be in. I mean, um, and that's one thing I do love about Amelia Island is uh, when we were thinking about moving here, because we still live in the summer in Wisconsin, is I said, well, what's it like there? People said, well, they're smart people. They love dogs, but they're very unpretentious. So we said, sounds good to me, right? Um, and then I would say as far as the characters and who they're based on, I would say this, people like to say, you know, are you the characters? And there, of course, there's a little bit of me in each character because I have had the self-love issues. I've had to let go of my past mistakes. I've had to learn forgiveness of myself and others, um, just like the characters have to. And, you know, I've I've messed up many times, you know, in my journey. Um, but, you know, I've got to, like, that's those big lessons. And then when you learn to overcome those things, and you just really you just become more powerful and empowering. And I would say that all those characters too are parts of my friends. I would say many of my girlfriends are part of those, especially the laughter and the banter. And then I have three sisters. So when we get together, there's a lot of teasing and, and funny stuff. But of course, we're always there for each other. Um, so, And then I've met a lot of women through my career and then teaching women in my workshop. So, yeah. Hmm combination. I like it. I like it. What's the point of creating such flawed characters or such characters that have to face these internal struggles? Well, you know, I felt that, you know, there's this passion inside of me and I really wanted to write these characters. And so that in book clubs, I was helping book clubs would, you know, talk about it and talk about these issues of the, the characters flaws, like, you know, being a martyr, you know, learning how to embrace self-love, learning to let go of past mistakes, you know, forgiveness of self and whatnot. And I just felt that women don't have enough safe opportunities to do that. That there's like the stigma, right? If you say, um, I'm hurting or I'm lonely or, um, gosh, you know, um, I'm not sure if I should have done that, you know, or, or kind of beat yourself up over the past. And I feel like sometimes women feel very alone in that. And so I was hoping by this book, beyond it, I really wanted to make a fun, entertaining story. So there is a lot of, that's the, a lot of fun in it. You know, there's a lot of funny scenes, I, I promise you. Um, but there's these other meanings interwoven. So I thought, let's create some dialogue around this. So I'd love to see women talking about book clubs, one-on-ones. And one of my goals is to, on even social media, to try to create different groups and, and virtual events where women can come on and we can talk about this and learn to empower each other by sharing our stories. And that, cause I, you know, I think it's the latest stat I read that 40%, over 40% of women globally are feeling lonely and isolated. And, and it's probably higher after the pandemic, um, you know, so, you know, and it's not like men are welcome. I just think the book is just geared more towards women in general. And uh, though I do know some men, I've read it and have really enjoyed it. So, mm. That's fun. 
how do you write a book like this where it's going to be able to cater to both genders, you know, men and women? Um, you know, I didn't, I focused on humor, you know, as, and an adventure. So there's a lot of action. In fact, um, one of my readers said, boy, once you get in the river, it just doesn't stop. Boom, 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 boom. You know, can you draw it off longer? Because I want to like read more of it. <laughs> and, um, and I think, you know, I think men tend to probably like a little bit more action um, in, in their stories that they read. <laughs> and there's no stereotyping there. Um, and so, you know, I guess I didn't really worry about it. I thought if I could write a good story and write good characters and write good dialogue, um, have the right story arc and the character arcs, that, you know, the rest would take care of itself. Do you worry about being able to write a story that everyone's going to like? Like when you're writing this book, do you think, okay, I got to make sure I write it this way so that, you know, it gets like, you know, good reviews and gets talked about in the blogs and the magazines and so forth? I didn't. I didn't. I, I guess, you know, I've, I've been writing for a long time, you know, in the six screenplays. And then even in work, I was, you know, a communication specialist for a while. And then I taught workshops when I was in the corporate world as well. And, you know, I've done so much writing. But my biggest goal was um, I wanted to make sure the dialogue was real, right? Short, punchy, real, um, the way people talk, you know? Um, so that to me was, I think, what I wanted to most was to have the dialogue be, you know, catchy and, and, and the best it could be. And I think that's where I went back over the last two years, especially in rework scenes and rework scenes to capture that kind of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Now, I think we mentioned this earlier, but obviously the outdoors plays a big role in this story. Uh, the three friends are on a canoeing trip that becomes this like death-defying adventure. They get lost in the woods and the campfire, um, as, as, the, as the, uh, the title implies, is where the action happens, basically. This is where they have kind of a big sit-down and sharing of secrets and just telling really what's going on um i guess my question to you is why not set this in a city why not set this in you know like anywhere else how does the setting really help and shape the story when i love nature i'm a nature girl um grew up on lake in the middle of the woods <laughs> first family to go to school on that side of the lake you know all that kind of stuff um but i also felt like there's not a lot of women books that are based in nature and I feel um, that there is kind of this um, almost a spiritual connection when you get out in nature and you also get to leave the worries behind, right? It's just like going for a walk outside. Um, you escape the office, you escape looking at dirty dishes, you escape work, you escape, you know, whatever. So, um, and then when you get to like be outside and away from, I guess I would say the real world in a sense, you know, I guess the, the world of the city and our work and our worries and our troubles. Um, you start to open up, you start to kind of, um, your mind clears a little bit. Um, you get into a different state. And if you've been lucky enough to sit around a campfire long enough and you look at the flames, you know, you start to relax a little bit, right. And you, start to become creative and start to kind of think about past. It helps for reflection. You know, so I just, I wanted that environment. Hmm. Do you think it could have worked if you had tried it in a different environment? Um, sure. Yeah, for sure. I think so. I think it, 
the challenge of the band to create as much action that happens in the river. Yeah, you, you know? really, yeah, you really can do that on like on the uh, the streets of Boston. I mean, that can be pretty death defying. Let me tell you something right like that, yeah. folks. I lived right. in Boston for eight years. Walking those streets, you're taking life into your own hands, and actually, Philly's worse. I have wiped out many a times on some of the uh, the brick pavers and you know some of those things, and uh, yeah, dodging the traffic or whatever, or taking the cab ride, <laughs> the taxi ride that with the driver that wants to get to, you know to the next stop as fast as he can or she can. <laughs> no, thank you very much. No, thank you very much. All right, all right. Um. You know, we talked a lot about your background. Of course, it's uh, it's quite a background. But how do you think this kind of influenced your just writing style or your love of writing? Oh, um, I guess you know, just um, not being afraid to go back and rewrite a scene for one thing. Um, I think because I've put enough work in front of people to know that it had to be you know, good. Um, I think also wanting it to be relatable. So someone, when they were looking at that care, reading the character, that they could relate to that character, even maybe feel like they're, they're that character. There's a part of them that's in that character. Um, so I think just by studying, you know, just really human personal development, being in the field I was, you know, um, and studying so much human potentiality, I like to call it, versus personal development sometimes. Like, and then, of course, there is the whole organizational development, you know, working with the business side. I just think it it just kind of um, gave me a broad expanse of, you know, what people go through, um, you know. And you see life and death in corporations in some ways, too. You know, I've done layoffs on one side, which is very painful. And I've done acquisitions where there's been a lot of joy, right? But that whole spectrum of, you know, human experience, you know, is part of what I bring to it. Okay. I can see that. I can I can definitely see that. Um, now, where this is your debut novel, but not your first time writing, how was it when the time came to ship this off to the publisher? Do you, like, someone have to, like, pry the manuscript out of your hands? Um, no, it was really hallelujah. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I, I find that it's usually one of those two things. Either, either it is, oh, my God, oh, my God, what did I miss? Or, thank God, this is finally done. Because I thought I was done editing. I had, you know, a professional editor, my coach that I was working with. But then when I, you know, signed with Books Fluent, um, they had an editor go over it again. And then they always wanted me to sign off, so I would read it again. And by the fourth time that it came back, I'm like, I have to read this whole again, you know what I mean, after all the rewrites before. And as much as I love the story, it's like, I don't know if I can catch a small error anymore, you know, because I had read it so many times. Um, thank heavens I like this story. No, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was with joy that it was like, okay, let's, let's, these babies are ready. It was like a five-year pregnancy. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just like, get it out of here. <laughs> just like, um, uh, flinging it out the door, like, phew, get out of here. I don't want you to come back. Get the hell out. <laughs> That's right. I'll bet. I'll bet. Um, how'd you release this? Because of course, you know, things like book signings and expos and such, a lot of them still haven't come back yet, or, or they've only come back in a limited capacity. So what was release day like for you? Well, I ended up doing a virtual um, launch party, which was really fun, and um, put it on Facebook and invited all my, you know, some 
you know, my friends that, um, I have. And, and then, um, I, in this community, there's a club that uh, actually, um, that has an enrichment program. So I was able to go in front of about 125 people we drew in and put together a presentation. It was, um, it was great. Kind of rocked the house with just talked a lot about kind of the journey from a log roller to an author. And then our local bookstore here, there's two bookstores here, the book loft as well as story and song. And they're both extremely supportive of my book. The book loft works with the first night and then <clears throat> story and song works with the second night at their store and had a wonderful turnout as well. And then the next day there was this feeling like, okay, well, that was really great. Now what? Uh, but then of course there's interviews like with yourself, Max, um, which is awesome. Cause I just, your background is so, I studied your background and everything you've done. You're, journalism background and then how you support artists and entertainers is fabulous. So that was, was really looking forward to tonight. Um, and then um, I'm actually have been getting asked, I think I probably have 12 book clubs I'm going to be joining. Um, I just had these women just love the um, presentation and have liked the book. So I'm hoping my dreams coming true that it is going to create this dialogue. So I've got 12 book club events and another um, presentation I'm going to be doing down in Benita Springs, Florida that a friend is sponsoring me for. And I just kind of, I going back to Wisconsin this summer and I have a friend that's putting together a campfire and he's inviting my whole hiking group to come and we're probably share stories around the campfire. And I'm kind of hoping to play in that theme and maybe just do some camp, you know, fire sessions with friends and, I guess I'm just trying to see where it takes me. I want to really be creative with it. And I love if anybody has ideas that's listening to this on how you'd like to do a virtual campfire talk with me or you know, talk about some of these issues, talk about the book. And I mean, I just, I'm just so open to ideas and suggestions and, you know, having fun with it too. Cause I want it to be a fun journey, right? I want people to have fun too, you know? That is so cool that you get the chance to share the story with so many people too. Because most folks, it's like, okay, a book signing or two, maybe a presentation, and then you call it. But you get all these things lined up, so I think that's really a good sign that the book is reaching people and also connecting with them too. Um, what would you say is, I guess, the goal or the message of this book? Is there one? Yeah, I th I do feel there's one. Um, I would say that um, there is such a powered friendship. And that, you know, find, of course, find the right friends. And if you don't have that right friend, you know, to start to work on those connections because we all need them. So somebody else there needs a connection too. And that when you learn to open up and share your vulnerabilities, then you allow that other person to open up and share their vulnerabilities as well. And then you just get to start to talk because I can't tell you how many times I'm sure you might've experienced this. I know I have is, I was like, man, you know, that really, you know, threw me for a loop when this thing happened. And I, I felt really bad about it or sad. And that person was like, oh, I felt the same way too. I just didn't know what to do, you know. And, and then suddenly we're talking about it, you know, and that could be everything from recovering from a pain of, of a divorce or maybe you, you know, um, are struggling with an issue with your child and you don't know how to talk about it or maybe you know, you're struggling in a relationship with a significant other, you know, it just can be so many things, or maybe it's a job issue or, you know, just a personal growth issue. Hmm. I want to ask a little more about the power of friendship, because 
you hear that line a lot, you know, and, and it ranges. Like you hear a, a lot in like a kid's cartoon shows, but also in more like serious stories. But I want to ask about your experience with the power of friendship, how it's kind of changed your life. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know um, if I'd be here without my friends. I mean, like, um, I just feel I have three sisters um, who are definitely my best friends, as well as some other beautiful, beautiful friends. And, you know, there was different points in my life where I was a single mom for a number of years, raising two daughters by myself, until um, I met my husband, who now, her brush, is like the love of my life. So I'm very lucky. It'll be 24 years in April. Um, but, you know, there were some highs and lows. And the lows were, you know, not easy. And I needed friends and I needed my people. So I'm one that I've learned just to reach out. It's almost like I have this Rolodex. I, I just like have my list of 10 to 15. If one's not home, I'll go to call the next one, the next one, the next one. Um, because it's so much easier. And, and I just helps me process. Um, because when I was a single mom, there were some years that I felt very alone. And I felt like I didn't have that good support system. And so I worked at it. You know, I learned to to network. I learned to become a better friend. I learned to reach out more. I learned to text, to call, and email. I mean, I have one friend that at least three or four times a week, her name is Melissa Frisvold, and we'll send each other a text in the morning and say, what's your intention for the day? You know, my, it might be, I want to feel loved today or want to feel creativity and she'll share hers with me and and just those little things like that you just you know then I can call like saying you know I had this thing happen and I really feel upset about it you know I got a few minutes you know and then it allows her then to do the same with me right so um, yeah it's been vital to my myself and my happiness and my husband is too is probably my very best friend so I'm lucky with that Aww. gotta give him a little shout out you know there you go there you go <laughs> All right, Christine. Well, the big question I think that folks are wondering is, is there another book in the works? There is. Um, I am a couple of things. And one was kind of a historical novel. And then I just thinking, man, I don't know if I've got it in me to do all that research into it properly. <laughs> um, but to maybe do a little bit of a play on that. Uh, but also I was considering taking like Nantucket Or, which is screenplay, and turning it into a novel. Um, because it was such, um, that story touched a lot of people's hearts and people who read that screenplay 15 years ago still remember it. Um, so I thought, well, there, there's some magic in there. And um, yeah, but uh, I'm also curious, I'd love to ask my readers of the book, what would they like to see next? And would they like to see these characters again or a story like this? Um, so I'm, I'm playing with ideas. I've got different paragraphs written here and there. So something will come. I mean, it's already coming. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, Christine, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And for the folks at home, you go to christineoshu.com, Christine with a K, O-C-H-U.com, and get your copy of Campfire Confessions. This is available through Books Fluent. It was, it was released on March 8th, so it's just out right now. Get your copy, uh, print, ebook, however you like it. You go to your local bookstore. If they don't have one on the shelf, you order it. You order a bunch of copies. Fill those shelves. Just drive the engagement. Leave some reviews. Follow her on her socials. Leave a comment because all that engagement it really helps. It really helps. And uh, Christine, definitely looking forward to the, to our next conversation for your next book. 
Thank you. Thank you, Max. You're the best. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain. Hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, Cover Villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as Cover Villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Hey, this is singer-songwriter and mental health advocate Stephanie Mathias. Be sure to check out my single Hero Side, available on all platforms now, and listen to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best indie artists. Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Christine for joining me, and definitely get a copy of Campfire Confessions. I know you'll love it. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get to me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check out the show wherever you find podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. As always, keep those ears open.